0: It's not easy to enter a new industry as an outsider, but it's not impossible, especially when you're motivated. Mara Smith was a corporate attorney and stay-at-home mom when she decided to bootstrap
1: a tequila company. I was at the point where I just needed something. I'd given a lot and dedicated a lot of my time and my life, which I would never take back and I don't regret. But it was time that I really needed something for myself. And I think of having a company and having Inspiro Tequila as that. Hi, this is Mara Smith. And this is a lesson on why it's never too late. What is your earliest memory of being creative? Oh, God, that's a hard one. I don't generally think of myself as a very creative person. I think I I was a kid in school who didn't even like art class. I guess my creativity came out in probably constructing math problems. I'm way more math oriented. Math is creative. It really is the way you structure to
0: find a solution. It can be very creative.
1: Yes. I feel like I, I didn't tap into any creative skills till much later in life. I think when I actually started my own company where all of a sudden I was really using my creative side to come up with designs and bottle designs and logos and taglines. But up until that point, I guess I never really thought of myself as a very creative person. Was
0: your family creative?
1: Did you have permission to do it? Because sometimes people don't have permission to be creative when they're little. Yes. My mom is actually very creative. Maybe that's why I went a totally different direction. And she is a talented pianist and speaks many languages and very artistic. I think it's just how I was wired. That just was not something that I enjoyed a lot. You were an
0: attorney. Yes and how did you transition to
1: Tequila brand founder i was an attorney at a large law firm in chicago and then i actually went and worked in corporate strategy at mcdonalds corporation actually that job really kind of sparked my entrepreneurial spirit because i was part of an incubator project where we were studying trends and consumer insights and trying to come up with new ideas and concepts and I found the whole ideation process really fascinating. My corporate career was cut short and abruptly when I was pregnant with twins at the time and was put on emergency bed rest. Kind of my climb up the corporate ladder was cut short. Yeah, I was home for many years raising children. I had preemie twins. I thought they needed my attention, so I made the decision to stay home. I was fortunate to be able to make that decision. And... I always knew that I really wanted to start my own company, so it was always in the back of my mind. And When I kept thinking about, okay, what kind of company would I like this to be, I wanted it to be something that I really enjoy, I kept thinking about tequila. I became a tequila drinker years ago when I was looking for just a cleaner spirit option. I have been gluten-free for over 10 years, I have a pretty active lifestyle. If I drink drinks with a lot of sugar in them, I wouldn't feel good the next day. So mm-hmm. I discovered tequila and good quality tequila and had converted many girlfriends to become tequila drinkers and discovered that so many women were telling me that tequila is their drink of choice, but I did not think that brands really focused on this consumer and in the spirits were thoughtful female consumer who cares about what she eats and drinks and the companies that she supports. I felt was an overlooked consumer in the industry and I thought there was an opportunity to really innovate and create something customer-centric with a whole new fresh set of eyes since I was an outsider to the industry. I also learned it did not take a lot of due diligence to uncover that there are so few women in the spirits industry Mm. and I thought there was really an opportunity to make an impact by bringing another female perspective. So if I was going to do it, I really wanted to enter into an area where I could add another voice and a new perspective. That was part of the impetus. It's funny because when I
0: was doing some work with acupuncturist and changing my diet and doing a candida diet, one of my good friends said that tequila is one of the few things that you can drink on a candida diet because it doesn't interrupt the same way. And I was like, really? And that's when I first tried tequila and realized I actually like this. You worked with Maria Romero Mena from Mexico, and she's one of the very few female master distillers of
1: tequila. So how did you find her? And then how did you convince her to work with you? To enter into this new industry, I had to do a ton of research. In the course of my reading books and studying the entire tequila industry, I did read a book about the women in tequila. It's a very small book. I read about all the women that are behind the scenes in tequila. And there are just a handful of them that either own their own distilleries or are master distillers. When I came across Anna Maria, I knew I really wanted her to work on this because she created this 600 aromas in tequila and this aroma wheel that now is used as an industry standard. And for our consumer in particular, I thought developing the right aromas, and she places such an importance on the aroma and how the aroma affects the taste profile for the consumer. And I really thought that would be important. I have consultants down in Mexico and they were able to track her down. And I was able to have an initial Zoom meeting with her and a number of Zooms after that, because this all happened right at the beginning of the pandemic, and I could not go to Mexico. But she was really happy to take on a project. she had never worked with a female founded brand. And I think she appreciated that. And she was really able to bring what I was envisioning to life. So when I told her kind of taste profiles and what we were looking for and that we want to make sure we can create it but without using any additives because so many tequila brands put additives in their tequila she's a very very meticulous process and using that process she was able to really handcraft a tequila for us and and get it to exactly what we were looking for what were you looking for There's a number of things. One, as I said, I wanted to make sure it was additive-free. So I wanted to do it and create the taste profiles that I thought this consumer was telling us that she likes. After we did focus groups and surveys, we kind of got an understanding of the brand she likes, the taste profiles that she's looking for. Many of those brands have additives. So I wanted to create it, but without using additives. We were looking for a sweeter, lighter taste profile. Mm -hmm. So I'd say vanilla Caramel with some hints of citrus, a little bit of mint. That's kind of our profile. And I really wanted to take as much of the alcohol forwardness of tequila out of it. So I wanted it to be really easy to drink a blanco that truly is sippable. So it is easy enough to drink and smooth enough that you can sip it on its own or have it on the rocks with a splash of soda. So you postponed your launch date by six months. Mm. What happened? There are many obstacles with the startup. That was one of of many of them. But her process, Anna Maria, does have this really meticulous, detailed process. And part of that was that she even has requirements as to how long the agave needs to cool after it's cooked before fermentation. And that one specification was not exactly followed on our first production run. And she thought it impacted the taste profile, as did I. I didn't know exactly that it was that piece of the process that affected it, but I finally got my samples and they arrived. And I was so excited to taste it. And then it was a huge disappointment when I tried it and I wasn't happy. And so I had to just make the tough decision of getting rid of that entire batch. There were people had some suggestions, maybe we can blend it and take that batch and a new batch and to me, I have to love it, and I also didn't want to take something that I thought wasn't great and take something great and blend it and make something mediocre. Right. Uh, the quality and the standards just have to be there. We had this gorgeous custom bottle, and I wanted the liquid inside the bottle to match the bottle.
0: Women tend to have a harder time getting financing or loans. Did you have investors? Did you bootstrap it? How did you get your first batch after the
1: broken batch to market? So I am bootstrapped. There are a number of reasons why I chose to do that initially. Basically, I'd like to show proof of concept first and gain some traction. I feel I'm very fortunate that I'm able to bootstrap my business. Part of that is I'm also will refer to it as a more seasoned entrepreneur. So I did not enter into this right out of college or law school. My mm-hmm. husband and I have both been working for a very long time. So that gave me the ability to be able to do it that way, and which I'm very happy about because I can really see my vision right come to life and exactly how I imagined it. And I don't have the constraints of having other people dictating that right now. I'm fortunate, but I think it's also the best way for me to get it off the ground. And I don't want to also take my friends and family's money either before I can show that proof of concept.
0: Did you have a fear that it was going to be too late for you to start? And then how did you get over that?
1: Yes. I did I actually really questioned my skills and abilities and and it's interesting because when I was working and as a lawyer and corporate strategy, I felt really confident about my abilities and all of a sudden, after I'd been home, I know and I was gonna start a company, can I do this? Will people take me seriously? Do I know enough and somehow I didn't give myself credit for still having the skills that I acquired before I was home. Right. And also recognizing that I, I developed a lot of new skills that are directly applicable while I was home. I had preemie twins. Mm-hmm. I can multitask like nobody's business. With children, no day ever goes as planned. My son's home sick from school today. Not on my agenda today. <laughs> and... Same with a new business. You're always coming up with plan B and plan C. There are skills that I definitely attained at home. And now I'm trying to really appreciate them. I don't think I don't think I valued them as much as I should have. And I don't think society generally values that. I'm a firm believer. There are so many women out there and there's a lot of untapped potential and skill
0: hmm Yeah, I would agree. I totally agree. So you mentioned that your vision came to life because you ruthlessly prioritized your time and you took out things from your schedule that would negatively impact that. So talk a little bit about how you prioritizing time for your business, because you do have a family.
1: I don't think I have balance. I don't think I, I don't think I understand the word balance. Mm-hmm. I think I'm very good at being focused and focused on the task at hand and getting it done and done thoroughly. But that means that another task is probably falling by the wayside. And if I had to just give myself some grace with that, I read the Tiffany Dufu book, Drop the Ball, and it really resonated with me that I'm going to prioritize. And then one day something's going to be the priority. It could be going to my son's basketball games, and that's going to be my focus. And I'm not going to be able to reply to people's emails or it's going to be, I have to get these contracts done and I forgot to sign up for conferences. And that's just the reality is that I have to prioritize kind of on a day-by-day basis and not everything is always going to get done. And I'm also really trying to hand more things off if it's it's work-related to delegate as well as family obligations that... Not everything is a great use of my time. And I don't know that my family really appreciates that because I've been the one taking care of everything for many years. You know, an example, my my son is like, I need new basketball pants. And he was 18 at the time. I'm like, you can go online and you can find them and order them. That's not a good use of my time, but it's hard. It's hard to change that dynamic and that family dynamic when it's been one way for a long period of time. It sounds like you're re- renegotiating agreements. So why is it worth it to do that for you? I needed this for me. I think a number of reasons getting that kind of outside validation from work, if it was from school or from work, I found really satisfying and really drove me. And mm-hmm. as much as I absolutely love my time at home and my Kids will always be my greatest accomplishments, my three children. They don't often come and tell me that I'm doing a great job. <laughs> <And> <laughs> any of that outside validation, like you got an A today, mom. I don't hear that. And also just seeing something come to life that you built, right? It's really exciting. It's fulfilling and gratifying. And I was at the point where I just needed something. I'd given a lot. And dedicated a lot of my time and my life, which I w- would never take back and I don't regret. But it was time that I really needed something for myself. And I think of having a company and having Inspiro Tequila as that.
0: So I want to talk a little bit about the leadership piece because alcohol is a traditionally, as we've been speaking about, male dominated. Industry, But it's a trillion-dollar global industry that lags behind, right, when it comes to gender diversity. So in 2018, for example, there were only 4% of C-suite positions in wine and spirits held by women. And in May of 2021, Brienne Allen, who is a production manager at a brewing company in Massachusetts, she invited women in the industry to share their stories of sexism and harassment via her Instagram account, Rat Magnet. And hundreds of accounts of direct accusations of sexual harassment, toxic workplaces poured in the week that she did that. And I'm curious, what, if any, sexism have you experienced,
1: obviously, trying to get your product to market? So I have a different corporate culture because I created my own Mm -hmm. corporation. So Mm -hmm. in our company, one, all we have are female perspective pretty much. So we don't face any of that. right? Um, What
0: about going for distributor and shelf space and everything has been women focused, which I love. Mm -hmm. So in the places where you come across or have you come across any male opposition?
1: So I think when you're looking for distributors and retailer, I'm happy to say that a lot of them are really focused on trying to bring on more minority-owned and women-owned brands. And I appreciate that right now. So I found them receptive to our story and hearing the story behind it. A very difficult part of entering the industry was more being an outsider than being a woman. I didn't realize this until I got into the spirits industry. All of a sudden, it seems really small and insular. Like everybody's been in for a long time and knows each other. And to earn that credibility. I thought I had to be extremely prepared. That's something where I think women maybe have a little bit of a different view than maybe a man entering. So I felt like I had to do a ton of due diligence. I would read every industry report. I would study the market research. I'd listen to webinars. I got certified in the history and production of tequila making by the governing (laughs) body in Mexico. Like before I would put myself out there, I thought I better go in with a ton of knowledge and really look like I've done my homework. I looked at it that way as coming in as an outsider. I do think that women probably tend to over-prepare like that when they're entering into an industry more than maybe if I had a male counterpart, he may have just gone and, Hey, I want to start a tequila company. I love tequila and here's what I've done. And I felt in order to get someone to respect and listen to my ideas, They better be really prepared, super prepared. Yeah.
0: do You think women lead differently having worked now in a culture
1: that embraces obviously female ideas? I unfortunately don't know that I'm great to answer that question. And that's because a few reasons. Looking back, I didn't even realize this till recently, but when I worked at a law firm and a really large law firm, I didn't have any role models. So there were no female partners in my entire department. I actually only realized that recently. I think I was just focused on proving myself and moving ahead because I earned it, that it never occurred to me that I actually had no role models in my department (laughs) of how to do it. That's really at the heart of the question is that
0: where are the role models a lot of the time? So we don't have a point of comparison for how we lead sometimes differently than men because we're just looking at men.
1: So some of us. Right. And I think it's also how it's interpreted. I'm efficient, I'm direct, I give feedback. And I always like go back and think, did that come across too mean? Was I too negative? Did I not cushion enough and make everyone feel okay? And I don't think a man in my position would be rethinking his words and did it come across too direct? Was it too harsh? Are people thinking I'm not nice? because I was so direct. So I think probably lead. Similarly, maybe I have maybe a little more empathy in many areas than perhaps as far as when I take into account that I can understand people have other things going on in their lives, because that is the reality of my life. But I think it's not the leadership style as much as how much I worry about how that is viewed by other people. Tell me about your purple bicycle project. The story behind the Purple Bicycle is that at four years old, I coveted this Purple Bicycle that was way too large for me to ride and a two-wheeler, and everybody told me that I cannot ride the bicycle. I don't know if it's discrimination or perhaps that I was also a very stubborn child, but I went out in the morning and all day practiced, even though I couldn't actually sit on the seat and touch the pedals at the same time. And after falling over many times until I was riding at the end of the day, pretty much to, to prove everyone wrong and to feel a sense of accomplishment for myself. I knew that part of the mission for Inspiro Tequila was to also be able to give back to other female founders. Right now, it's in a small way of what we can do by providing small grants and mentorship I'm a firm believer that as women-owned businesses succeed, we'll have more women out there to invest back into female founders. And that is how we will start to equalize the access to capital, which is what you alluded to earlier, as far Mm -hmm. as how little capital gets allocated to women and female founders. So I decided to name the initiative because I thought of myself as this determined little girl and people telling me no. Mm -hmm. And I think our Purple Bicycle project is really to hopefully inspire and support other women when they're told no and that they can do it, especially reentering the workforce. It's not easy. I've been out of the workforce for a long time and, or pivoting in a different direction. That was just an important aspect to me was to be able to somehow support other founders. What is your wish for every other woman? My wish is that women realize that it's never too late. So I think sometimes we write it off that it's too late. We're not going to be able to start something. We can't pivot or we can't start something new or enter into new industry. And I really hope that I can show that. And that would be my message that it's not easy. You have to be willing to put in the work, but let's say there's always something you dreamed about doing. It doesn't have to be starting your own company it could be that you, you always wanted to work in an art gallery that You can do that. You have to be prepared and you have to do your homework, but it's possible. And I I truly hope that's something that I can give people that message.
0: You have all of the answers when you ask the right questions. Be visible. Speak your truth. Every other woman needs you to lead. Voice Lessons is produced, written, and spoken by me, Kim Cutable. It's also produced and edited by Sergio Miranda and associate produced by Jessica Manalga. You can find out when we post new episodes when you subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, etc. And if you liked what you've heard, we would love it if you leave us a review. For other inspiration, updates, and show notes, subscribe at voicelessonspodcast.com.